All right, we are recording. Are you excited? Yes, yes I am. So I am back for my third episode. I'm here today with Atma Jodha Singh, and we are going to talk about spirituality and what it means to us, what our personal paths have been and where it's gone. Um, you might hear some strange little noises. Uh, they're going to sound like little grunts. That's the dog. She has insisted on being a part of this with us. The cat, not so much. Uh, Atma, why don't you introduce yourself? Give us, give us some background about you. Um, well, my name is uh, Atma Joda Singh. Um, my, I'm a spiritually, spiritually fluid person, which means that I actually practice more than one spiritual tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, my foundational tradition is rooted in nature and earth spirituality um, and my social values are largely rooted in the Sikh tradition. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in, on the spiritual path pretty intensely for the last, for over 40 years. That's and wild. That's good. That's pretty much it uh, for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's start with the beginning. What what got you going with this spiritual path? Where were where your origins? You know, because I know, like, I don't know if I've talked about in previous podcasts, but I grew up Catholic and that just did not work out for me. That it felt like a cult. It felt restricting. It felt terrible, to be honest. So I went and found myself a religion that I could really believe in and really put stock in. So how did that happen for you? Well, I was uh, raised in the Episcopal Church. I'm sorry. My dad was pretty much a cultural Christian. Mm -hmm. And my mom is what I call a terrorized Christian. Okay. Um, she was someone who was scared to death of hell. Okay. Everything, and she dragged the family through um, a lot of different religious traditions. Mm -hmm. um, the Episcopal Church was where we spent a lot of our time because of my dad's background, which I was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. My mom took us through Baptist, Christian Science, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, a whole bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. And that got to be a whole lot worse uh, once my mother was diagnosed with cancer. Right, yeah. And the whole thing for me uh, was I was put through private Christian schools and all that. And at one point I was considering becoming an Episcopal priest in my teens. Yikes. But the, the real driving factor was my mom's illness. Mm -hmm. My mom was so scared of hell. And because I kind of excelled at theological and religious studies in school, mm -hmm. Um, my mom literally sat me down one day and said, I am going to go to hell if you don't find a way out for me. Hmm. And it was you know, a terrible burden to put on a 14-year-old kid. Absolutely, yeah. And I went out and I bought this book called The Handbook of Denominations in the United States by a guy named Mead. Mm -hmm. And equipped with that and our local yellow pages, mm -hmm. I proceeded to go through the book, literally um, finding out what places were in our city, which at the time was San Antonio, mm -hmm. and 
begin to research and visit places, trying to somehow uh, resolve this issue for my mother. Right. And I'll, I'll say this, my mother and I, my mother was very abusive. Yeah. And I think a lot of my motivation for willing to do this was to somehow find acceptance in her eyes. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but the whole thing totally uh, caught my attention as I began to do this, and it just, I just, it was straight down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. uh, into researching and experiencing different paths of spirituality mm -hmm. from that. All right. That's how I kind of got uh, started. Uh, I really would, uh, if anybody was to ask me what I considered myself, I would tell people, I tell people for I'm a spiritual explorer. I like that. I love that and, journey. Um, there have been a lot of different terms used over the years. There's omnism, which is people that uh, see truth in many different religions, but not the ultimate truth possessed by anyone. Mm -hmm. That resonates with me. And then a few years ago, uh, sociologists and religious researchers began to use this term spiritually fluid, mm -hmm. which is refers to people that don't feel like they have to limit their spiritual expression to any one tradition. Mm -hmm. But they may experience it totally mm -hmm. in multiple traditions. And they may be a Christian and they might be a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel like they have to pick and choose parts or they go in and they practice both of them totally. Yeah. And that's a term that's really resonated with me. So I, I very much consider myself to be a spiritually fluid person, much to the chagrin of the uh, people in the traditions that I practice, because people are really uncomfortable with that. Speaking of that, for the listeners, you are practicing pagan, but you are also a Sikh. Correct. So do you want to talk about what the core beliefs of that are? Because I don't like to assume that everyone knows. Because up until I met you, I didn't know. You told me what the core beliefs for Sikhism were, so. Um, technically, uh, the, the faith is referred to as Sikhi. Uh, it was the British who called it Sikhism. Oh, okay, okay. And, uh, and this, I was today years old when lot, I learned that. A lot of traditional Sikhs, um, because of the effects of colonialism, mm -hmm. are very big on, no, it's Sikhi, not Sikhism. Okay. Uh, it doesn't bother me one way or the other, but it's, it's a, a No, but I am glad you told people, me. You know. Um, Sikhi was founded in the 1500s, late 1500s, mm -hmm. by a man from the Punjab mm -hmm. in the part of it which is now Pakistan right? Uh, named Nanak. Mm -hmm. um, Sikhi has ten gurus which are basically, their concept of a guru is almost like the concept of an avatar. Mm -hmm. They believe that this divine energy passed from one of these gurus to the other. Right. Uh, not at death, but even during life. Just for the listeners, he's referring to Avatar The Last Airbender, not the James Spielberg movie. We don't talk about that in this house. <laughs> uh, so, and some of the things that were really revolutionary in India at that time that became core Sikh values was one was uh, absolute equality of women. Mm -hmm. uh, awesome. The abolition of the caste system. Okay, I can get on board with that. Uh... And that was a huge, huge issue. And the whole idea of community service is probably one of the biggest core values. Mm -hmm. uh, Sikhi does not 
subscribe to the pacifism that is normally associated with Indian religions. It's a, it's a martial religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that rose out of the fact that it was largely founded during the time of the Mughal occupation of India. Right. So that played a, a huge, huge factor in it. But Sikhi is, is very much, it's not a very complicated religion. Um, it's worship services are almost entirely chant and music. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really very much rooted in the idea of devotion uh, to the divine, mm-hmm. uh, uh, seeing the value in, in numerous different religious traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sikh scriptures contain writings from multiple faiths and not just the ten gurus. Mm-hmm. So that's a big factor as well. Um, but it's it's a very modern religion in mm-hmm. a lot of its senses, and of course it's got its the same problems as every other religion, right? Uh, about being inconsistent in its practice, uh, about culture sometimes trumping the spiritual values taught by its founders. So uh, I think that kind of hits it on the nail. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think you got it. That's everything that you taught me in the past. So yeah. Um. Our guest star is making some noise. I apologize for that. Uh, she's kind of a high-energy little pup. She's only four months, so. But anyway, back to the original subject. So what, I hate to say it like this, but what possessed you to follow the path of both paganism and Sikhi? Um, in the late, well, I had a lot of interest in history. I'm a history buff. Okay. And in the 80s, I got involved with uh, the Society for Creative Anachronism, which is a historical reenactment society. Mm-hmm. And um, I met a lot of pagans there. Right, yeah. There's a lot of I can imagine. involved in that. Um, I had a, a real fondness for Scandinavian and Norse. Yeah, we're going to pause just for a minute. We'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, that was, we had to take a brief little interlude. Somebody had to go to the bathroom. Oh, but she's a good dog. So, um, Keep going, as I was saying, so a lot of my gateway into paganism mm-hmm. as a, a practice was through uh, my involvement in historical reenactment groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I began, uh, initially involved with, uh, Norse paganism. Yes. And this was in the early days of it in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that was with an organization called the Asa True Free Assembly. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I was a member of for several years. I led a group in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, eventually, I parted with that organization um, because of racist elements within that organization. Fair, it was fair. A, At that time, it was new, and it was attracting a lot of the wrong people. Right, right. Um, I was also involved with an organization called The Troth. Um, mm-hmm. I served on their board of elders for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, founded here in Austin by um, the... Uh, occult author uh, who writes under the pseudonym of Edward Thorson. Okay. 
and those people, and we, uh, I worked with them for several years, but then I finally felt like my own ancestry is primarily Scottish and English, mm -hmm. and so I felt kind of this call back and forth between both um, Germanic traditions and Celtic, mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I ended up getting involved with an organization uh, called ADF, Anruap Fane, Okay. Which is a pan-Indo-European pagan organization, but its primary emphasis is, is on uh, Druidism. Okay. Uh, Reconstruction Druidism primarily, but they also were very big on helping people reconstruct and get involved in all the different traditions that made up the Indo-Europeans, mm -hmm. it's all major European threads. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of my, my early years of that. Um, over the years, I've been involved with several other organizations, um, but largely my draw is kind of following my own path. Ceremonial magic is a big, is probably the dominant strain in my uh, paganism today. So, okay, that's cool. I like hearing that. I like that. Um, it's funny because we, the thing about paganism, the thing that I love about it, is that you don't have to follow one specific path, like. When you're, like, for instance, like, because it's the one I know best, growing up Catholic, there's just one path. There's one thing. Even though we worship many saints, we don't put them at the center of our religion. The center of our religion is Jesus. It's not necessarily God. And when you're Jewish, as far as I know, with what little I know, the center of that is God. And... The thing about paganism is you can worship as many gods as you want, as many as you feel drawn to. And the thing about it is that, you know, modern paganism, you, you kind of just, I don't, what's the right way to say this? Not that just fall into it, but you kind of, it's a path that you get to choose. Right, right. And one of my favorite things about it is that you can never read enough about it. I mean, you've seen my book collection. Mm -hmm. Our book collections are extensive. And there's so many different facets that you can add to that. It just, paganism is so wide and vast that you just, I feel like you never learn everything. You never hit the end. Catholicism, you hit the end. Christi Christianity, you hit the end. Other religions I don't know about, but with paganism, everything is endless. Well, I think one of the things you get into whenever you get into traditions that are ancient is you're never going to exhaust the history, the people, mm -hmm. uh, the ideas, the disputes, the conflicts. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, one of the things about our day and age is that people can largely um, pick and choose uh, what aspects of that faith they're going to practice. Yeah. And I think in modern times, it's a lot easier to pick and choose what things you vibe with the most. I know I once had a post where I was talking about something in the Bible, and I was like, you can't pick and choose. And someone tried to tell me, yes, you can. And, you know, I feel like now I was in the wrong for saying that, which is honestly with time and as we progress as a society in terms of social issues and whatnot, I feel like it's becoming more and more of a, 
of a common thing to be able to pick and choose. What the fuck are you chewing? What? Why? Toilet paper. Why? Pardon me. Keep talking. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's very, very true. We, and there's always going to be people in every tradition that are going to feel like, no, it's got to be the orthodox or one true way or, or not at all. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have people that are, are, are more liberal about it. I, I mean, I know pagans that are very, very dogmatic, mm-hmm. as dogmatic as any Christian, mm-hmm. about, uh, no, there's only one way to practice this, mm-hmm. one set of beliefs, and you have to follow, stay within these boundaries with it, or, yeah. or, 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 they're, or you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And I know for me, I don't feel that way at all, because one of the first things I learned about paganism is it's what you make it. That was like the very first thing that I read, and I really took that to heart when I started really getting into paganism and started doing my rituals. Like, I make up my own rituals. I don't go buy a book. Like, I buy books of spells, but I don't actually go off of those spells. They just give me ideas. And you can custom tailor things. You can mix and... (laughs) You can literally mix and match magics. And that's the cool thing about paganism. And... You know, I used to think, oh, I'm, I'm going to straight up be Wiccan. Like, that was going to be, like, part of my identity. And then I started learning about all the other stuff that comes with it. And I don't subscribe to the threefold rule. I believe more in karma. I believe that whatever you do comes back to you, but it doesn't necessarily come back times three. I think it comes back to you in different ways. I think that things hit you in different ways. I think that, I mean, if you take a look at my situation right now... <laughs> Things have definitely come back to me that should not have come back to me the way that they did. Um, and I think that that taking, the, I feel like the threefold rule is very confining and very controlling. And it's not that I don't agree with people that believe in it. It's more that I respect that belief. I just don't follow it. Right. And you have that ability in paganism. And you have that ability to say, I respect that belief, but I don't really follow that belief. And I feel like in a lot of the more um, restrictive religions, you don't have that kind of wiggle room. So I think that, like for instance, like Catholic Catholicism, there's one way, there's one belief. That's the only thing you've got. You don't have any wiggle room on it. You don't have room for any kind of gray area. It's just black and white. And the thing about paganism is that it lives, lives in the shades of gray. And that's the cool thing about it to me. Is like I can sit there and say, I don't really believe in the threefold rule because it's very constricting for one. And I also don't believe in it because in my experience, which can also help shape your beliefs, which a lot of people that subscribe to like Christianity don't really get that. They don't really say my beliefs were shaped by my experiences. They were like, my beliefs were shaped by my religion. Or at least in my experience. I know that there's some people that find Christianity later in life that say like, oh yeah, like this was, you know, shaped by, you know, Christianity. Or I came to believe Christianity because of my experiences. I'm talking about someone who was basically indoctrinated from childhood like I was. And nothing against my parents. Because they're very stout believer, very devout believers. My grandma went to church every single day till she was 
dead. Yeah, until she was dead. And it was very, um, it was inspiring to see that kind of devotion to a belief system. But as for the belief system itself, I just couldn't subscribe to it. It was too, one, it was too constrictive. Two, it was very hypocritical to me. Especially when, you know, they came out about the priests molesting young boys. I just felt like that was very, very hypocritical because it was just really, I just think it was really like oof to me. It just, I'm like, uh, you're just going to move these priests around. You're not going to like fire them. Cause like normally being a priest is a job. It's not just a calling. It's a job. So when you're doing your job and you're not doing your job right, or you're doing something horribly wrong, you get fired. And sometimes if you break the law, you do prison time. Most of these priests did not do prison time from what I know. So when I saw that, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, I don't think this is going to work for me. Like, this is really not working out. And that was really what turned me against Catholicism in general. It was finding out that priests were molesting little boys. And, you know, I got to say, I was young when that happened. I think I was probably in my early teens when that came out, maybe even younger. If I knew the difference between right and wrong then, how come these priests didn't? It's it's always crazy because, as, as you know, I do a lot of prison ministry. Yeah. And at one of the units that I dealt with, we had a Catholic chaplain who was a priest mm-hmm. who was one of those pedophile priests. Oh, wow. And he was ministering in three different parishes. He'd been reassigned to that area of the state was serving three parishes. They knew he was a pedophile priest. And he was still and, had his job. And he was, and then he had sought out a position as a, a, a chaplain in the prison system. Was it to stay away from little kids? Um, he thought it was the best place for him. Uh, he had been through a two-year program for people with his issues. Mm-hmm. But... Um, eventually uh, it became public and he was reassigned to interestingly enough as a hospital chaplain in the Philippines but that's my problem they just keep reassigning these priests they don't fire them they don't serve prison time a lot of priests don't and but we we see this in in all religions unfortunately you're gonna have Pedophiles, abuse of power. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, Um, it's not limited to just Catholicism, for the record. Yeah, I mean, even when in the Sikh tradition, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out Mm -hmm. in the last few years uh, with people that were in positions of authority in Gurdwaras who had sexually harassed, abused, and what some of the the children or women in their Mm -hmm. congregations, and that's. You know, and it's, 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 it's common for religions to become defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that doesn't fix problems. Yeah. And uh, as far as the Catholic Church goes, I think they would have gone a lot, done a lot better for themselves had they owned it and addressed it. Yeah. If they had publicly said, publicly admitted wrongdoing, right. that can make all the difference. And I think that 
you know, not to get too deep into the subject because it's not really the focus of the of the episode. But the one thing I am going to say on it is I feel like owning up to something, it helps people heal. Always. Always. If you own up to what you did, even if you're, even if you're not apologetic, which I think is, you know, if you're not apologetic, don't lie about it. I'm a big person on being real about how you feel. Just owning up to it would have helped the healing of thousands of people that were dealing with that trauma. And, you know, I know that it happens in every religion, but Catholicism is the one where it was, like, super rampant, and it came out, and it was just like, oh, shit, like, fuck. This is how it really is? Like, damn. We're always going to see it. I mean, historically, you have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in ancient religions as well as modern religions. Mm-hmm. Um, we can look at, uh, you know, having been a Sikh and dealing with the toxicity that you see sometimes it's more obvious as a convert maybe than somebody who's lived there uh, in India yeah you know, one of the things that the, the Sikhs uh, denounces the pra- Indian practice of sati which was when a man died his wife would join him on the funeral pyre and if she didn't do it voluntarily sometimes the in-laws would assist her in that just push her in there yeah um, or we see in Scandinavian tradition mm-hmm. where uh, a man dies and one of his consorts, concubines, or slaves will join him in the afterlife. Right. Uh, and there was a, a position within the, uh, many of the societies, the tribes, where somebody would be the angel of death and assist that person in dying mm-hmm. and being part of that funeral. So yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Which I mean, doesn't necessarily make it right. No, no. It doesn't human, make it okay. Well, you know, one of the things about paganism is we embrace, we we research ancient tradition, and then we decide which ones are sane and fit in with our world today. I wasn't going to say it in that many words, but that's really the most accurate way to put it. It really is. I mean, we're not doing animal sacrifice, though I do know pagans that seriously want to return to that. Uh, yeah. Um, and we're not doing human sacrifice like some cultures did. As much as I might like to sacrifice a couple of humans, I just I just don't think I could do it. No, no, no. But there's definitely some that would uh, be great candidates. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But this is why I wanted to get you... For this episode there's not many people in my life that I really vibe with about my spiritual beliefs and I think it's one of the driving factors of our relationship not the main one obviously obviously the fact that we love each other is what does that but what it really is to me is we can talk about this kind of stuff we can have this conversation and you know I've never really it's like I've never really been able to talk to somebody about spirituality or religion like the biggest talk I ever got about religion is I just uh literally this is actually a true statement I was uh on the phone with my dad not too long ago and god love my dad he's generally a good person he's got a heart of gold kindest guy I've ever met helped me out of so much 
He literally says to me over the phone, even though he knows I don't go to church, he doesn't know that I'm, you know, pagan. He might have guessed it, but I don't think he wants to believe it. Hopefully he never listens to this, so it doesn't shatter things for him. Because I think that would really upset him. But I'm on the phone with this man, and he literally tells me, I just want you to love Jesus. And I literally, like, <laughs> the pause afterward with me collecting my thoughts was just so painful for him. I could feel it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, I told him, like, I'm not going to make you any promises, but I'm going to do my best even though I have no intention of following through with that because I can't. I don't even believe Jesus was a real person. I don't necessarily even believe in Jesus. Like, I don't believe mo most of that religion. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in purgatory. I don't believe in any of that. Like, I'm literally just a disaster when it comes to Catholicism. Which, by the way, I want to uh, take a moment and describe the shirt Atma is wearing. It's a uh, rainbow-colored Baphomet statue, uh, just the Baphomet head. And in rainbow uh, text, it says, Not Today, Jesus. I am actually wearing a shirt that has the logo of our social club on it, which is how Atma and I actually met. That was an interesting story in and of itself. But the logo was on the shirt, and it was not specially made. This was actually something that I found on Amazon and bought. I did not have it specially made and it's a very comfortable shirt but I just want to say uh, my shirt is winning right now I think a couple of the things that are complicating things in the spiritual arena today is one is how commercialized it's all become exactly and and I hate to say this but you've got so many people that want to be guides, teachers, priests, priestesses, um, mediums because of the media. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of misrepresentation. There's a lot of cultural misappropriation. Yep. And um, I think one of the things that's, there's especially in, you see this talked about in the shamanic community, Yes, yes, yes. The idea that you've got people that are calling themselves shamans that mm -hmm. have never had any of the traditional preparations for it. It's have not done the work at all. assume labels. They assume titles. Mm -hmm. And then they go out and they start doing workshops and teaching and so on and so forth. Uh, and it, it really, there's one of the terms that's been used in the traditional shamanic community I think is very makes sense to me is what they call a plastic shaman yeah yeah you know, definitely um, there have been some people that have claimed to have studied with a traditional teacher or a traditional uh, tribe mm -hmm. uh, only to later be exposed as having been fakes Mm -hmm. or really just done a mishmash of stuff from a number of different sources yep and I have no problem with eclecticism or mm -hmm mixing and matching things but be honest about your sources and your background yeah you don't have to create a bogus backstory to legitimize your offerings yeah um 
and be honest, you know, just like when someone says, you know, well, I've traced back, I've got ten ans ten generations of ancestry as a, as a witch, mm -hmm. or this or that, you know, and to me those are always red flags, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, but we need more accountability within the pagan community. Mm -hmm. I mean, let, let's talk about it, uh, let's use Catholicism for an example. Perfect. To become a priest, you're talking about completing bachelor studies, master studies, you know, seminary. Mm -hmm. The number of hours that goes into preparing for that, of interning basically, mm -hmm. and everything. And why do we somehow within the pagan community sometimes feel like it's okay to uh, name some of a priest after two years being in the faith. Yeah, totally. I mean, you've been practicing for what, how long, almost? Almost 44 years. Yeah, that's almost, that's like literally like 80% of your life. I've been practicing since I was 14 at the oldest, and I'm just highballing that. That's, uh, that's at least 20 years of my life. That's like 75% of my life. Why am I not considered a priestess? You know why? I know why. It's because I don't feel that I have the right to preach my beliefs onto somebody when my beliefs are constantly changing because I'm constantly learning new things. And, you know, the, th the cool thing, the thing that priests have going for them is that there's never anything new for them to learn. Once they go to seminary, that it is what it is. All you got to do is read the Bible, read the Old Testament, read the New Testament. I'm sure there's some other texts for them to read. Yeah, especially within the Catholic Church there is. It's, but it's all there for you already. Like now new things are coming out. There's, with paganism and, and whatnot, you're constantly finding new things to learn and to do with your beliefs and to add into your practice. So for me to sit there and say, why am I not a priestess? Like that doesn't make any sense because I'm still constantly learning which is why I don't really, I don't really see the point of having one or being one, but that's just me. Yeah. Other people might find that, because some people need a guide. Some people really need someone to tell them what to do, especially when it comes to their beliefs and their belief system and the way that they practice. They need some sort of structure within the religion. And that's really what I think a priest or priestess or a shaman should be for. One of the things that I learned a long time ago in researching Eurasian shamanism mm -hmm. is that when it came down to it, what determined whether you were a shaman, first off, nobody in those cultures in their right mind would ever claim to be a shaman. Mm -hmm. they, it was something nobody in their right mind would seek to be because it was seen to have so many downsides. Mm -hmm. Even though you had respect and authority, it was something that, thought that really, really took a toll on you. Yeah. And the other thing was that whether the tribe accepted you or not was entirely based on what you could produce. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. They didn't care about your spiritual teaching. Mm -hmm. What they cared about was could you locate water? Yeah. Could you locate the herds that they were hunting? Mm -hmm. uh, could you heal? Mm -hmm. Could you find what was lost? Mm -hmm. And if you could demonstrate those things on a practical level, well then, 
we would consider you the shaman. Yeah, but it wasn't a desired position. No. In and fact, if anything, there was just way too much pressure. If we were to say today in any spiritual community, um, well, we might consider you a person of power or authority if your prayers are being answered, mm-hmm. uh, if your spells can be proven to work, mm-hmm. are there measurable results, mm-hmm. are there demonstrable outcomes? Mm-hmm. You know, if those things were an issue, a lot of the people that are claiming to be priests, priestesses or magicians in teaching roles wouldn't be wouldn't be in those positions. Right, right. If they had to produce results. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, one of the big influences on me in my early years was a, a, a pagan writer named Isaac Bonowitz. Okay, yeah. And he's, he was off on some things, but a lot of what he said was just real down to because he approached it from a large from a parapsychological and scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. Either it produces results or it doesn't. Yeah. And uh, those are things that make sense to me, and I think we need more of that. Uh, sometimes things are just too abstract and too... We don't expect enough. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, unfortunately, it just turns into a cosplay. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like I always talk about with falling in love with like the witchy aesthetic, where you want to have the look, but you don't want to do the work behind it. And I think that there's a lot of people that are like that, uh, especially now because it's becoming super mainstream to have like the really witchy aesthetic or to have like, or to like make sure your crystals are charged and get your moon water going. But I mean, I don't think I never even heard of in the early days of this. Right. Like I love crystals, but I think that that's a separate thing in and of itself. I think crystal magic obviously is its own thing. It's its own domain, but like, in my early readings, I never read anything about moon water. What's moon water? Is it yeah. good? Does it taste good? Is it hydrating? Will I like it? What does it taste like? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to find it in the writings, for example. Let's talk about some of the early off Wiccan authors. You're not going to find it in the writings of Gerald Gardner mm-hmm. or the Alexanders mm-hmm. or the Sanders, Alexanders or any of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, these are things. And, and I'm not saying that just because something is new, it doesn't. It's no good. I'm just saying that we we need to never forget that this practice or this belief, etc., a where did it come from? When did it come from? Mm-hmm. Just let's be intellectually honest about it. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Yeah. Because the one thing about paganism is that a lot of a lot of the things that you work, a lot of the workings you do. The spells, the rituals, the ceremonial magic. It's about intent. You know, it's not about what you add to the ritual. It's not about what you put on it. You know, you can throw candles, crystals, books, etc., etc. Like, you can throw all the bells and whistles on it, but if your intent's not there, then it's not going to come to fruition. And intention by itself isn't enough. And too often people mm-hmm. think it is. You know, um... And then they wonder why they're not manifesting. Right. You have to actually actively work to gain that goal. It's just that when you put the intent toward it in your ritual, you're basically having the universe align with you and vice versa. That's just the way I see it. Right, right. And, and that's, that's a perfectly legitimate way of seeing it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Who's to say what's a legitimate and what's not? The way uh, one of the organizations that was really influenced my attitudes toward magic mm-hmm. was was the IOT, the Illuminus of Thanateros, which was one of the early uh, chaos magic organizations. Mm-hmm. And they were a huge influence on my magical practice. Yeah. And everything simply came down to uh, these are techniques we use to affect our consciousness, affect our mind, uh, that we believe will affect causality mm-hmm. in the universe around us. And we need, should keep journals like a scientist would. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're experiments. And either they work or they don't. And, you know, it's just... Ideally, if I'm, let's say I'm a magician, sorcerer, whatever you want term you want to use, uh, a healer, and someone comes to me, and if they said, "Well, are you any good?" Well, I should be able to pull out my journals or whatever and show mm-hmm. I can document that I have successfully achieve various outcomes. Right. If I can't, or, you know, too many people don't even know whether their spells or their working did anything. Yeah. You know? Or they'll, they'll give themselves the, the out. Well, I put a clause in there that if my working wasn't in my highest good, that the universe will bring me my highest good. And then I end up saying, well, then whatever happened was obviously my highest good. So if I didn't get what I told everybody I was trying to get, mm-hmm. then, then my spell worked because I had that escape clause in there. Right, yeah. And the New Age movement is um, a tremendous effect on mm-hmm. the ideas of magic. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the law of attraction, and I'll say for the record, I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of the secret or a, a lot of the, um, the law of attraction writings that were done in the uh, er, early 1900s and stuff that came to influence the, the name it and claim it movement in Christianity. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think there's just a, a lot of bad uh, ideas or oversimplified concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're, why aren't we dealing with the law of sympathy and the law of contagion? Mm-hmm. How often you see that brought up right, anymore? Let's all get coagula, you know, yeah. as above, uh, so below, and yeah. things and so on. Why aren't we getting back to the things that historically were, were core teachings of magic? Mm-hmm. So I think those are, are things where we're, we're losing some things. Mm-hmm. And in the light of New Age spirituality. Yes, I agree. And I think a lot of New Age spirituality is also about, like I was mentioning, the aesthetic of it. Of, you know, like tapestries and aligning my chakras, which is a perfectly, like, respectable practice. I'm not saying that. I'm saying aligning my chakras and getting, you know, like the boho lifestyle going on and, like, not even just, like, a lifestyle, but, like, the look of it. Just having the look is what they're really interested in. And to me, when I see that, I'm very skeptical immediately. I kind of look and I'm like, all right, but are they doing the work behind it? Because 
as you and I both know, there's so much work involved in doing, you know, any kind of, in any kind of pagan lifestyle. You know, there's the building of the altar. Did you just give her a gummy worm? Is she eating it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. She spit it out. <laughs> well, if she doesn't eat it, maybe that's a good thing. Oh, my God. But... You know, I like the witchy aesthetic as much as anybody. I always have. You know, my dream house is an old colonial with, you know, like, wood flooring and... Oh my god, her face. Do you like it, Celine? <coughs> By the way, I named our dog Celine after the goddess of the moon. So. Yes, she did eat it. Yeah, she ate it. She looks pretty content with it, actually. Scary. Well, this dog is scary. It's scary in how she's definitely a psycho. You make a very good point because, you know, there's a lot of... You can't separate mental health from magic either. Right, right. And if we're not working on our issues, then we're never going to be a healthy spiritual guides, mediums. And, all. Mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean we have to arrive. But we need to be familiar with the work mm-hmm. on ourselves mm-hmm. in that regard. And I think that's a, a major deal. Um, there was just so much. I think that being able to sit with yourself in the ugliness and look at that and deal with it, like I've been trying to do lately, like I've been really trying to put that work in of really sitting with myself in my ugliest states, like my ugliest views of myself. I'm looking to see where I can change, what I can do, where, oh my, that's a big one. That was a, that was three gummy worms in one and she is still eating them like a psycho. Sorry, that was very distracting because she's very cute. Um, If that was the whole point of giving her the gummy worms, it would take her a while to process it. Um, we could, we could take another break if we have to. Um, but I think that, you know, it's one thing to have, you know, the look, the jewelry, the aesthetic, have the, the witchy looking home with the spell jars, well not spell jars, but like the jars of herbs and have all of that like put together. That's great. It looks great. It looks awesome. I'm down for that. I love that journey for anybody. But if you're not doing the work that goes along with it, with intention, manifestation, with the core beliefs, reading about, reading about different types of paganism, like educating yourself is like the number one thing I learned after like the flexibility of it. The number one thing I learned is that most people that, oh my God, most people that practice paganism never stop learning or reading about it and that their book collections are huge. And I have a collection of books that I've barely started reading. Like, literally, I have, like, three bookshelves worth that I've barely delved into. And I feel like, I feel like I'm not doing enough work. And actually, being with you has inspired me to do more. She ate it. Mm-hmm. All three of them. And now she's coming back for more. I can't wait to see how they come out. Will they come out in pieces? Will they come out as one long string? Yeah. Or will it be in Technicolor? Why are you so cute, though? 
I love this dog. She's so dumb. She's so cute. And, and I want to say for the record, I'm cynical when it comes to modern paganism, modern magical practices. Uh, it's, again, it's, for me, it's either you can produce results or you cannot. This dumbass dog. Um, and I agree with that statement. Uh, I actually hold the supernatural or the paranormal community to the same standard because I am a skeptic believer, as Grant Wilson calls it. Um, or maybe that's Jason Hawes. I forget which. I think they both felt that way. I think they both agreed to that statement. But a skeptic believer is somebody who, no matter how much evidence you see, like they believe what they see, but they still want more evidence. They still want different ways of seeing it. They still want more different types of evidence. They want to see it in front of their face. And also there's this, one thing that's an important aspect of it all, you know, we talk about being skeptics. We also talk about, but you know, we, paganism has evolved. It's not just a theistic thing anymore. Mm -hmm. We've got pagans who are atheists. Yeah. We've got pagans that approach things entirely from a psychological or a naturalistic perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've got pagans that are godless or who worship the gods but don't believe in magic. Yeah. And that's, that's all okay. Yeah. You know, the whole thing for me is just don't misrepresent. Yeah. If Be real about it. And I have no problem with the fledgling pagan magical student who's exploring and uh, I'm going to use this word fiddle farting around <laughs> yeah you know with the tarot decks or crystals or whatever they're experimenting yeah just don't misrepresent yourself as a teacher or as more than you are right. or something don't you are out, not don't get out there and sell services that you are incapable of providing yeah. And that's a big, big thing for me. Yeah. Um, I'm a, a yoga teacher. You know that. Obviously. And I've been teaching yoga for eight years now. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's always been a big deal with me with my, my yoga teaching, I only teach practices that are reality-based mm -hmm. and pressure-tested. Mm -hmm. um, I largely teach to people in rehab community mm -hmm. uh, people that for them their their yoga practice may be a tool that makes a difference between life and death yeah and magic is not a game no spirituality is not a game it's no it a, is not it's not something to be played with especially when we're claiming to offer services to other people yes 100 percent uh, that um, someone i had a, a, a yoga class i was teaching at communities for recovery mm -hmm. And we had a girl come in who was detoxing from heroin. Mm -hmm. Well, what we did in that class, we shifted the class, the focus of the class, to facilitate her needs mm -hmm. because they were heroin out at that time. Yeah. And it, it's the same thing with our magic or, or any spiritual practice. We've, we've got to, we can't be charlatans. We no. can't be someone who... If you don't know that a practice is going to legitimately help somebody, don't offer it. Mm -hmm. 
this is why it's important sometimes for special needs to find a, a practitioner or someone who's offering that they've been through it because we can only take people as far as we ourselves have gone yeah yeah you can't go further with somebody than you have already gone you cannot push your limits to benefit somebody else you know if you're looking for you've got mental health issues or you've got addiction issues find yourself a, a spiritual mentor guide or service provider that's been there and can say I've done this work this is what worked for me mm -hmm. you know yeah um, it's the same thing with faith-based a faith-based uh, counseling you know when you're Christian and you see a Christian counselor it's because that person has been there done that and it's the same thing with you know paganism you have to sit there and say hey I tried this it worked for me you know do this because I see where you are and you know it's just uh, the misrepresentation that you see in mainstream society with new age spirituality wanting everyone wanting to be a witch now like it's uh it's not conducive to a positive view of paganism it's like when we were watching the uh the satanism documentary yesterday or the day before yesterday or the day before the day before day saturday before. not important but still um we watched this documentary about the rise of um, the Satanic Temple, and it's a really good documentary on Amazon Prime. Very informative. Um, it talks about uh, what's Lucian Lucian Graves. Yeah. yeah, very charismatic guy. Uh, makes me nervous because he reminds me of like a Donald Trump or like a Charlie Manson type guy because his charisma or? his charisma the fact that he's a great speaker uh he's got those weird beady eyes not the bad eyes but the good eye they're mesmerizing eyes you know it's it's just very uh so his qualities in the wrong hands would be yes that's what i'm saying and i'm worried like the reason that i can't get behind him completely is because i don't know if he is the right hands or not but so far so good yeah so i'm gonna hope it keeps that way but I mean, Satanism is is fucking great, man. Like they don't actually believe in Satan. They're active in the community. They give to people. They're open. They're like caring. They're welcoming. They're literally everything that Christianity and Catholicism are not. And a lot of people will counter that by saying you haven't met the right Catholics or you haven't met the right Christians. That's fine. You can say that all you want, but when you look back in historical texts, there is a long, long history of persecution and oppression and the forcing of Christianity on paganism. You know, like, it's right up there with the imperialism of you know, Great Britain and the way that they reacted, the way that they expanded and the way that they invaded other countries. And I feel like I'm just shooting off at the mouth right now because all I can do is watch you give the damn dog another gummy worm. <laughs> oh fuck, she already ate it. But 
so you, you know, you sit there and say, you know, you haven't met the right Christians. I know that. I know I haven't met the right Christians. Because the right Christians, the right Catholics are going to say, whoever you are is whoever you are. Be whoever you are. We embrace you for who exactly what you are. And I think that, you know, if you want to follow a religion that's based in oppression in the way that Christianity is, that's fine. But you have to reckon with that at some point. It's just like the United States. Our exactly. history is not pretty. Very ugly, actually. And it's, until we own that, we never have any hope of becoming the country that we claim we want to be. Yeah. And religions are no different. They have to own their misdeeds. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, let me use this for an example. The Mennonites. Yep. A famously pacifistic, mm -hmm. liberal, uh, social justice-oriented mm -hmm. range of Christianity. Yeah. Well, back in their early days, um, they were pretty radical. And they mm -hmm. even slaughtered the inhabitants of the city of Munster in Germany. Yeah. So it's, <clears throat> yeah, not all Christians are the same. Uh, I've known some great Christian people in my life. So have I. I agree um, with that. But it's just like anything else. We have to own our history. Mm -hmm. Pagans have to own theirs. Guess what? Pagans persecuted Christians. Yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah. Every religion has its period and its misdeeds and its bad actors. Mm -hmm. There were there have been terrorists who were Sikhs. Mm -hmm. There have been radicals. There have been militants that did things that I I can't get behind within the Sikh community. Yeah. Even as early as the uh, the last seventy five years. Yeah. Uh, people may remember the Canadian Airlines flight uh, that had a, a bomb detonated in it by a Sikh terrorist, mm -hmm. and they were separatists, and they feel like they're there's causes are justified. Well, regardless, those are things that I personally, in my own beliefs, don't support. Of course. Um, I, I have a, a strong affinity for the left-hand path branches of, of magic and paganism. Mm -hmm. um, and yoga as well. And it's there's a lot of things in the satanic community that I, I, I have no problem with. Yeah. Uh, I don't consider myself a Satanist, but I consider myself to be a, a friend of the Satanists. Yeah. Not all of them. There's some branches of Satanism which I, I think are really kind of... Whack. Yeah, or just absolutely their values are different than mine. Yeah. But ones like the Satanic Temple, yeah, yeah, I very much agree with mm -hmm. their social agenda. Yeah. And a lot of their deal. I'm not an atheist. Uh, By any means. And I'm also not a, um, a monotheist or a strict pantheist or animist. I, my views are very much, I believe that you know, the universe is divine. Mm -hmm. I'm its conscious. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I've learned from Indian spirituality is the idea that, guess what? Even the gods eventually fall when their mm -hmm. karma that allowed them to become gods runs out. Yeah. And they may fall into a hell realm. They may fall back into a human lifetime or, or any of these others. Those are common Indian beliefs. Yeah. 
So those are those are things that when I read those and learned those things, I said, I didn't know that makes sense. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I like is talking to other uh, <clears throat> pagans. You know, like building that sense of community, which is why it was my driving force behind joining Moon Siren Social Club. That and my therapist told me I needed to make more friends. But I wanted to meet like-minded people and I wanted to discuss our beliefs because what if, like for instance, you said you don't necessarily follow one particular deity. I don't really believe in any of the deities. I don't really follow any of them. The only one that I really appreciate is Lilith. And I don't necessarily follow Lilith. I don't pray to her. I don't do stuff in her name. I don't consider myself interested in any of the deities. I just like to focus on the intent and my intent. Right, Celine? Right, puppy butt? You're whiny today. You really are. Like, whinier than usual. Are you okay? He says I've got gummy butt. Probably. But, um... I don't necessarily subscribe to any deities. And, you know, in talking to you, I realized that's how I realized it. It wasn't that I was adopting your belief. It was like, you know, I realized I've never actually incorporated any deities into my workings. And I never thought that that was even a thing. And maybe I'll try it and see how it goes. Like scientific trial and error. See how it goes, see if it goes well. Maybe I'll continue to do it. But... So far, I just don't feel connected to any deities, even though my nickname is Athena. That comes from something actually totally different that is not related to paganism. But I've embraced it because we have two people in the social club with my name, and I'm one of them. So we had to, have, you know, somewhere have a give and take. But it's not, you know, Athena is not... I consider it my pagan name now at this point, but it was given to me by a Catholic woman, which is really funny. Because <laughs> it all started out as a joke on Facebook. It wasn't even related to paganism. And uh, apparently my friend's mom thought it was my middle name because it was my name on Facebook. And when I explained it to her, she said, well, I'm gonna call you Athena anyway. And then when she passed away, I added it to my name. So now it's officially part of my name. So that's really where it comes from. But not, I feel like not subscribing to a deity gives you the freedom to use one because it doesn't lock you into just using one. Like for instance, what if I need the power of Odin for something? Mm -hmm. I can use Odin. What if I need the power of Loki to do some chaos? What if I need Athena because I'm about to go into a battle or I'm about to get into some sort of battle, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, legal, because let's face it, I'm kind of in a legal battle right now. Kind of need Athena. But not subscribing to one gives you the opportunity to research them, first of all, to see if they fit with what you are intending to do. And then it gives you the ability to say, even though you're not, you know, my main deity or you're not even my deity because I don't do deities, like I'm praying to you that you favor me mm -hmm. or something like that. You can throw that in and you have the freedom and the flexibility to pick and choose. Going back to the pick and choose concept of paganism, 
And I think that that's really cool. I think that, you know, talking to other pagans, talking about beliefs, like, for instance, having different experiences with Ouija boards, like, between Nova and I. Nova uses a Ouija board all the time. I am terrified of Ouija boards because I had a bad experience with one in college to the point where I'm very nervous to even look at a Ouija board. Interesting. So, you know, I think that hearing other people's experiences, like hearing that Nova is so comfortable using one, opened me up more to the idea of using one again. And I think that if I had somebody experienced like Nova, we could go ahead and say, hey, let's do a Ouija board experience with Nova as our, calm down, calm down, as our, um, I don't want to say moderator, but like a leader for it, mm -hmm. as our, you know what I'm talking, y'all know what the word is, it's just not in my head right now, leave me alone. But I think, you know, like that opened me up, especially hearing her talk about it, like, and she seemed like very excited about it and very passionate about it. I was like, okay, so she clearly has a lot more experience than me in it. And she's had positive experiences on top of that. Well, and I think you'll find that it, uh, one of the things I learned at one point was that, you know, it's, it's good for everybody. Everybody has to kind of find their own tools. Mm -hmm. And one person may have a real positive experience with tarot. Mm -hmm. Another may have a very negative experience with tarot. Mm -hmm. uh, the same with Ouija boards or scrying or any other number of I have never scribed divination. I have never scribed. And that's my my favorite. And I like it because it's 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 really a tool for, for me to look inward and find answers I need. Mm -hmm. Um I did a lot of rune work early on and um I use that. I use sigil. Uh, sigil magic is a big part of chaos magic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um but as far as divination goes, scrying is the one that resonated with me the most. It's the mm -hmm. one that serves me the best. Right. But there are some forms of divination that just I'm either ambivalent to or just don't. The experiences haven't been good. Right. You know, and I think that's true with systems of magic, divination, religion, spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. You know, one person may say go to a Catholic church and have a wonderful experience. Somebody else may go and have a totally terrible experience. Perfect example is me and my parents. My right. parents love church. I hate it. Um, maybe the same within a, a religious tradition, even within pagan traditions. You may go and attend the services of one and have a really negative experience. You may go to another one and have a really positive. Mm -hmm. um, it's that's that's just life. Yeah. I agree. We, uh, and I can't judge somebody else because I can't say somebody else was wrong because they had a good experience with it. Uh, everybody is different. You yeah. know, it's the most important thing to remember in paganism is that everybody is different. So what works for me may not work for you. Like for instance, like I'm, I feel drawn to tarot. I feel like I have a good grip on tarot, whereas it didn't really do anything for you. And scrying is what works best for you. I've never scribed, but I would like to. So if you would show me how, that would be amazing. Thank you. And you have a book there, by the way. I've been meaning to bring this up, but you have said that there was something that you wanted to talk about within it. Well, when we talked about, you know, we mentioned earlier the idea of being spiritually fluid. 
and this is one of the, the better books on the subject I would encourage people to check out. It's called When One Religion Isn't Enough, The Lives of Spiritually Fluid People by Dwayne R. Bidwell. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of it is personal stories. But um, I know some people within the pagan community are very uncomfortable with eclecticism. They feel like you need to stick with one pantheon, one tradition, mm -hmm. one approach. And that's perfectly cool for them. For other people, they're uh, like myself. I conceive of the divine as one and all the different mythologies as stories we've come up with within cultural context to explain it. Yeah. Um, I see the God, I see the divine kind of like a diamond and the different gods are the different facets of the diamond. Yeah. So it's... Uh, I think that just like with so many other things, uh, one of the terms that gets used sometimes for being spiritual is being poly-spiritual. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we all know the cons, the different ways poly is used today. Right. You know, polyamorous and, and things like that. But I think the whole idea of being, what was the term, diverse mm -hmm. and pluralistic, mm -hmm. these are good things. and. Uh, myself, I'm very, very comfortable with mixing and matching techniques because for me, it simply comes down to does it work or not? Yeah. And if that combination mm -hmm. of tools uh, gives me enhanced benefit, then I'm going to use it. Um, I believe we have to be careful to show respect and appreciation for our sources. Mm -hmm. If we've gotten something from the Native Americans, we need to be very, very sure to be supportive mm -hmm. of that those people. Yes. We have a debt to them. We have a blood debt in this country. Uh, that is putting it mildly. But spiritually, if I'm borrowing, if I'm getting tools from voodoo or santeria or from... Native Americans, well, you know, it's, it's one, you know, I can say, you know, thanks guys, appreciate it, but I think we need to invest in them culturally as a people and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that too. Uh, we have a debt to them that they've enhanced our spirituality in any way. Yeah. And that means maybe taking on the causes. You know, we need to lift up all people, but I think sometimes we, we forget that in our spiritual context. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, it's a good thing you mentioned that because I was thinking to myself, you know, I really love the idea of a spirit animal, but I'm not going to adopt it without also saying, you know, without talking about how I appreciate, you know, Native American culture. Because to me, it's a mystery and I love a mystery. I love the imagery. And I love that they really, they were, you know, America's original pagans in a lot of ways. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I have a spirit animal, but I have been told that I do have one by other people. And so one of the causes that I champion is um, getting them off reservations and letting them live with everybody else, letting them live their lives letting them live better lives. Um, and one of the other things that I try to do is I try to buy Native American jewelry 
especially if I know that it's like literally made by Native Americans, like sourced that way. So like when I went to Colorado Springs, I went to a shop that a Native American woman owned. She was the one working the counter. It was like a one woman operation. And she had all of this jewelry and all of it was beautiful. So I bought like a dream, that's where I got that dream catcher necklace. And I was like, I was like, this is the most basic thing I can buy here, but like, fuck it. Like I'm supporting a Native American, it's a local business, it's a small business and it's a woman. And she's Native American on top of it. And that was, that's something I always try to do because I also really love turquoise. What the fuck are you doing? What is your problem, baby girl? He desperately wants to go for a walk today. Well, after this, we'll take her for a walk. I'll take a shower. Go for a walk. We'll do puppy things. We're pretty close to wrapping this up anyway, so, um, you know, it's it's like you said, just try to champion their issues. If you're going to adopt something, if you're going to appropriate something from their culture, at least sit there and say, you deserve to be treated fairly. You deserve better. Or at least sit there and donate or buy something of theirs. At the very least, at the absolute very least, that's like the bare minimum. You know, we should be doing that for people anyway. Yeah. Our obligation only increases mm -hmm. when we are connected to them that way. Because it is a connection. Yeah. And, and, and we need to re also respect when traditions have a closed practice. Mm -hmm. And they have something that says this isn't something we share with outsiders. We shouldn't then become obsessed with trying to steal it. That's why I don't like to use white sage if it's available and it's the only thing that's really like I can afford I'll buy it because it does tend to be cheap but I try not to use white sage I try to use like red sage or blue sage or something mixed with something else I don't really like to do a lot of smudging anyway because I'm always afraid of setting off a fire alarm because uh almost every single time I've done it I've set off a fire alarm <laughs> I'm really special. Me? I'm really special. Leave me alone. <laughs> but uh, I have a penchant apparently for setting off fire alarms, like I did last night. Um, nothing burned down though. Smoke detectors. No, there was no water flying from the ceiling. That. Yeah, I, we don't have that here. Um, but uh, I don't like when I found out that it was a closed practice with Native Americans. I was like, I'm not going to use white sage anymore. I think I'm getting that right. I think it's Native Americans that only use white sage. I'm not sure on that because I, I don't use sage for, for smudging. Um, what do you use? Um, I've used Palo Santo. Um, oh, I love Palo Santo. I love but the way you know, it smells. And there, there are people that feel that the entire practice of smudging is a closed practice. Right. And and the thing is, is we're gonna. this is one thing that we, we forget sometimes is you may talk to five different Native American teachers just use that culture as an example. Mm -hmm. And you may get six different answers as to whether something is closed or open. Yeah. Because it does, there's not an orthodox, there's not mm -hmm. a, a manual somewhere of, mm -hmm. and, and two, it keep, we have to keep in mind too, it's Native American is not a blanket religion. Mm -hmm. Every tribe has its Mm. Practices, practices and beliefs and beliefs and all their rituals, you know? ceremonies, and 
sometimes we forget that. We try to uh, homogenize it into this one one thing, and uh, we we do them a great disservice, and we fail to respect the diversity even amongst indigenous people in this country. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's an issue that gets me really upset is indigenous people being treated so unfairly. They don't deserve to have to live on reservations. They deserve to be able to live the way they want to live, live the way their ancestors live, live whatever way they feel fit. You know, as long as they're not hurting anybody or themselves. Mm-hmm. That's usually my cutoff. Is like, if you're hurting somebody or you're hurting yourself, that's a problem. But these people were just sitting there living their lives and we fucking slaughtered all of them. Or most of them, yeah. And then we forced them to live on reservations, and that, and then we also took their customs on top of it. And now they're selling jewelry on the roadsides. So it's like, it's, that's not fair. And it's it's definitely something I get really upset about sometimes. You'll see me just randomly get upset, and I'll be like, I just think Native Americans should be able to live better lives. But, I mean. It's like you said, if you're going to take something from the culture, at least give back to the culture in some way. Yeah, there's, we, it's, it's not bartering. It's not, we don't want to be stealing. We've, we've stolen enough from different cultures. Yes. And, and there are some that feel like, you know, uh, as Caucasians, as white people, we have no business taking anything anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and I can get that. I also feel like there's a line between the spiritual, legitimate application of spiritual wisdom from other people mm-hmm. versus what is illegitimate. And again, it simply comes back to it's only legitimate if there's an energy exchange, mm-hmm. and it needs to be consensual. Yes. You know, yes. these are teachings that have been made public, they've been put in the public domain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They're sharing them in writings, there's teachers that are, are preparing people and sharing them, and stuff like that. And we have to remember, too, that some of these practices require years of preparation in a certain setting. Mm-hmm. And you just can't necessarily go and pick something out of a book and, and start doing it and do it well. Yeah. You got to study it. And not just study. Sometimes there has to be training. Yeah. Formal training. Oh, yeah. Under someone who knows what they're doing with it, you know. That's like Reiki. Reiki, chakra aligning, all that. You need training for that. You can't just pick that up in a day. And there's, there's, it's true with so many things. And again, it it all comes back to this idea of uh, being fake, being charlatan, misrepresenting um, you know, I can't, I can claim to be a doctor all day long, mm-hmm. and I can get people to give me money all day long, Yeah. but if I haven't had the training and the experience, uh, I'm probably going to get somebody killed. Yeah, yeah, that's, you that's know? fair and to it's, say. It's no different spiritually. And, Absolutely. Uh, and sometimes, and especially when we're talking about a practice that originates with a people mm-hmm. and a specific culture, then we have to go and do the necessary work, not just to study in books, but maybe to seek out 
people who actually have ex legitimate experience in the culture. Mm -hmm. Like if a Native American invited me to one of their ceremonies, I would fucking go. Yeah. Not because I want to practice it necessarily. Like that's the big difference. I don't want to practice it. I just want to sit here and be like, this is an amazing experience. Like, thank you for letting me be a part of it. Yeah. Like yeah. I would be so thankful or like, if someone was like, let's do a voodoo ritual, and they were like a voodoo priestess, and it was passed down through generations and generations and generations and generations and generations and generations, I would sit there and be like, yes, absolutely. Like, I don't even believe in voodoo. I don't even know if I believe in voodoo. It's a whole fucking religion, mm -hmm. which I didn't know for a very long time. I did not know that. I thought that it was hoodoo. I used to confuse the two. Because... And then I saw the movie The Skeleton Key, which shed light on hoodoo. And then I watched a documentary on voodoo. And I was like, this is really interesting because it's a whole religion. And I loved it. And I thought it was so cool. And I was like, if someone wants to like include me in their ritual, I would go for the experience to be a part of it. I'd be super thankful. By the way, if you want to include me in your rituals, please invite me. Just FYI, I want to be there. I want to learn more. I want to know everything. I want to know. And, and for all you listeners that are in the, maybe in the Austin area, or wherever you're at, get involved. I would encourage you to get involved in interfaith organizations in your area. Yes. Here we have IAC, Interfaith Action of Central Texas. Mm -hmm. Every month, there are get-togethers for people to, uh, around a shared topic. So we need dialogue. We need interfaith dialogue. We need interspiritual dialogue. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to happen as long as we demonize each other and aren't willing to sit there and share our beliefs and our practices and our and and listen as well. Oh yeah. So it starts with being willing to talk and being willing to listen. Well, we all know the the whole concept that what we don't understand we fear and what we fear we hate. Yep. And what we hate eventually we try to destroy. Yep. So. That's true. Very important that we not be too insular or closed or sometimes, you know, the witchy aesthetic, we take mm -hmm. it to the point that uh, I'm trying to scare the straight people. Yeah. I'm trying to scare the others. Um, I want to be threatening to them. Okay, well, just don't forget to have consequences. Mm-hmm. He yeah. sure does. If, if we want to freak out the, the people that are the majority making the laws and controlling the guns, maybe, and stuff mm -hmm. like that, well, there's we need to maybe rethink that. Yeah. How do we decrease fear? How do we decrease problems? Build, how do we build bridges, not walls? Yeah. Let, How do we let, build Baphomet statues? Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's a, a, that for me is a really important thing. How do I encourage people to be more receptive and not feel so threatened? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good place to leave this. But this was an amazing episode. I had so much fun. It was good. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for having me. Thank you me. for being my guest star this, this particular episode. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we are on Spotify. We're on the internets. 
I think there's a fucking... I think I have a Facebook page. I forget. I have to update it. There's definitely some work that needs to be done in terms of my social media platform. Uh, I'm working on a WordPress right now, which is, is pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, next episode, I don't know when it's coming. I don't know the topic, but I can tell you it's going to be lit because you know what? Every episode I've ever made was pretty lit, or at least that's the feedback I've gotten. Anyway, Atma, thank you again. I'm going to go shower. Thank you, Athena. It was a blast. It was. It was a real blast. All right, y'all. Keep it real. Stay spooky.